Welcome to the Recovery Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Miller. I'm a stroke survivor and grateful recovering alcoholic. Today, I'm going to be talking about letting go. Letting go does not mean that we stop caring about whatever it is that's bothering us. It's more realizing that we can't control people, places, and things. It's also enables us, enables the learning process to happen where we are learning the natural consequences of things without trying to control what's going to happen, whether it's something that's going on in somebody else's life or something that's going on uh, in your life that's impacted by, uh, by people, places, and things. So to let go is to admit complete powerlessness, really. It means that the outcome is not in my hands at all. Um, I've talked about how how I've had I've been challenged to to try to make that mental process of letting go um, happen without first uh, putting uh, myself into like a practice where I'm I'm doing something physical to. Uh, to represent letting something go, and that's um, using my God box. And I also mentioned yesterday um, putting whatever it is on a piece of paper that you want to let go of and crumpling it up and throwing throwing it in the trash. So to let go is is to try to, to uh, understand that you can't change other people, that you can only change yourself. You, you can only control your reaction to things. You're also, if you think about it, allowing the other person to be a human being, to be wrong, to make mistakes, you know, I mean, because of course, you know, you're right, and they're wrong. <laughs> but allowing the other person to be a human being and, um, and to let go is to not be in the middle, try to be in the middle, arranging the outcome of everybody, you know, I've, I definitely have done that in the past, where I want to just I want to be not only in control of what I do in my life, but I want to be in control of what my kids do in their lives, what my family does in their lives, you know, um, rather than allowing everyone else to affect their own outcomes. So um, if I'm not letting something go... It, in a sense, feels like I'm being protective, and um, and I'm not protecting anything. All I'm doing is protecting myself. Really, I'm not protecting them. I'm protecting myself from feeling 
the reality of what may or may not happen. And um, so to let go is to be a little less fearful, to be, uh, to recognize that no matter what happens, um, I can't control it and I'm going to be okay. You know, I don't need to be afraid of what's going to happen. I can stand on my own two feet and I have the tools and the, the skills and the knowledge and the character to deal with whatever the outcome ends up being. So accepting things that we can't change is, um, is our best option. And in my sobriety program, the serenity prayer is a huge deal. (laughs) It's something that you come into the program being introduced to if you hadn't been introduced to it before in your life. And it's something that I was encouraged to repeat to myself, um, you know, over and over throughout the day if I needed to. And that is to uh, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I can't change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So what do you do with the stuff that you can't change? You know, um, you need to accept it. Well, there's a few, that's not that easy. There's a few things that need to happen before you just accept something. So, um, learning, learning to let go means to stop attempting to change or fix the situation to begin practicing acceptance exactly the way it is. Um, Letting go can provide an an increased amount of freedom from the problem that you're experiencing. So I decided to uh, put together a little exercise, and this was kind of fun for me. So hopefully you'll think about doing this as well. So you make a list of three things in your life that you can't change. Um, Sorry, three things that you can change in your life or have changed. And then list three things that you've tried to change or you can't change. So three things you can change, three things you can't change. We learn to accept ourselves and others and to accept our thoughts and feelings instead of trying to change or avoid them by going through this exercise. So I went ahead and um, listed three things that I can change in my life. So what I'm thinking about is in the sense of my recovery, of course, because it's the Recovery Daily Podcast. Hello! So the first thing um, that I can change in my life 
is I can learn how to use accessibility features on Apple devices. Um, so I'll just tell you about my progress. I'm kind of excited about this. Today, I spent most of the day using my um, iPhone without the screen on. So with the accessibility feature of voiceover, you can actually turn on what's called a screen curtain, and it just keeps your screen black. And this is for um, if you want increased security and you don't want somebody else to be able to see your screen, you can turn this on, the screen curtain on. So I, for most of the day, um, just a couple little hiccups here and there. I had to figure out what was on the screen. But for the most part, I had my screen black and I navigated my iPhone all day long. I listened to messages. I responded to messages. I went to YouTube and searched videos and listened to videos and I went uh, to a Chrome browser and I did a Google search and then read the web page using my finger. So super exciting. And it's, um, I think I've gotten over the hump of feeling, it's like I was having this discouragement feeling that I couldn't get past. And so it was making me be resistant to learning, I think. Um, so today, I, I guess I just got, ex I got past that. I, I think what I did was I accepted the fact that um, I've got a, I've, this is something that I can change and I'm going to do it. And it might be because I was working on this exercise. So um, learning voiceover is one thing that I can change in my life. The second thing that I have is I can get busy with hobbies, projects, and cleaning. So instead of being bored, which oh, I woke up this morning and before I even rolled out of bed, I said out loud, Ugh, I just don't know what the point is. Because I felt like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have anything, like anything to strive for. It's torture. It's torture. I know that other people... I have a friend who was like, oh, it sounds so pleasant to, you know, sit on your deck and drink your coffee and watch the clouds go by and then you sew. And I know, and I think if I was on vacation that I would um, appreciate that. But the fact that I have to do this and I just, I need some sort of Oh, I don't know, inspiration in life or something like that. Like, um, so anyway, I mean, the podcast is great. It's really helpful. I think that um, it's, it's really filling that gap that I need in order to um, 
feel like I'm committed to something. Uh, I I wish there were thousands of people listening and I feel like and feel like I was really making an impact. And I know there's people who are reaching out to me that are listening every day and telling me how much they appreciate it. And that makes me really happy. And you all do matter. Um, I think it's just my own internal struggles, you know, that I'm that I'm I'm not driving to work, you know, and and getting to have separate projects and and stuff like that outside of the podcast. So you all know that I'm a busybody. Anyway, um, so getting busy with things like the podcast, I did add a blog to uh, my to-do list. So I do one blog a week and I do that through dictation and that'll be another way for me to continue practicing voiceover on my Mac. I just started trying uh, voiceover on my Mac. It's a little more challenging, but I'm assured by my YouTube people I've been listening to that I'm going to get it. If I get the phone, then I'll pick up the, the Mac stuff too. So get busy with hobbies. Another thing that I can change is that I can seek help from doctors, therapists, friends, and family. I don't have to be alone. You know, I feel alone. I don't have to be alone. I can change that. And I don't have to just um, surrender to the fact that I'm going to be exactly like this and there is no chance for any sort of recovery. At least I have hope there that um, the therapist, um, well, right now the vision therapist uh, is telling me that um, she thinks that we'll have some sort of recovery ahead of me. So this is what I had for things that I can change. And then the things that I can't change in my life, I have my vision impairment, so although I just said I can change um, seeking help from others, I can, but my vision impairment and the situation that I'm in right now, I can't change um, where I'm at. You know, I, I have to, mm, I don't know if that makes sense, but anyway, I can't change the fact that I had the stroke and that it left me with this neurological vision impairment. Um, I can't change the fact that that happened. What I can do is seek help to try to recover in some way from my vision impairment. The second thing that I can't change in my life is that I am a recovering alcoholic, and um, I'll always be an alcoholic. It won't be like I turn 80 and then all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, you know, my life's almost over. I might as well start drinking. <laughs> it doesn't uh, it doesn't work like that. I'm always going to be an alcoholic. If I were to pick up at the age of 80, um, I probably wouldn't wouldn't live till 81, maybe. Um, at least that's what I've uh, certainly understood of how progressive the diseases for me. And then the third thing that I have that I can't change in my life is that 
I this is kind of a deep one. I said that I can't stop time. And I said this because I'm still very much uh, a little twisted around the axle about, um, I guess, just how time is going by. And, you know, I had a stroke and my kids just uh, moved out and have started their own lives now in their 20s. And, um, you know, my parents are in their 80s and my family is growing up all the the my nieces and nephews are all growing up my brother and my sister um so you know I can't stop time and last night I was going to bed and I thought you know at this very second I'm so grateful for who's in my life who's here who's living and the people that I can love. And, and the reason why I thought that is because I have, I've mentioned I have several people in my program that we send each other our gratefuls. And last night I received from one of them um, that she's grateful for all the people that she has to love. And I thought, that's just beautiful. Um, I feel very grateful for that too. And sometimes I feel like if I get too caught up in being so grateful for what I have this very day and the people in my life this very day, I start almost thinking ahead and thinking, well, one day I'm not going to have all these people in my life again. It's just, it's it's challenging. I, you can tell I'm just, I'm in a really vulnerable state in my head right now. And, and I'm really happy to have this channel to talk about it. So now that I've talked about what I can change and what I can't change, I wanted to talk a little bit about letting go. And so letting go of what isn't serving you. Um, So let's take the example of I can't stop time, since that seems to be a one one that's really bugging me right now. So um, and I didn't do this ahead of time. I'm I'm adding this as a as a off the cuff here. So the next thing we need to do is list ways of letting go the things that I can't change. So what I was thinking about today was how did I let go of something as a child? Because as a child, we have an uninfluenced way of letting go. As an adult, we have unlearned this skill that we learned as a child. And I have some examples of this. When my son (laughs) was about... I don't know if he was maybe four, maybe five. I'm not quite sure, but I th- it was around that age. I took him to Kmart and we got some milk, a big gigantic carton of milk and some other odds and ends. And 
it was enough odds and ends that I ran out of hands, you know, like I was, I was full, my arms were full of stuff. And so we got in line to check out and my son said that he wanted uh, candy because those damn supermarkets put all the candy right where you're checking out. So he says that he wanted some, some candy. Now, I was a very young parent, um, so I was probably mm, like I was in my early 20s. And so I told him, no, you cannot have the candy. And he said, and you could almost feel like the volcano started bubbling. And he said, but I want the candy. And I, and well, uh, one thing I knew as a young parent was if I told him one, if I told him once, no, I was not going to back down, back down, because if I were to back down, then he would know that no does not necessarily mean no. It means ask her again, and maybe she'll say yes the next time. So I told him no, but mom, I want the candy. No you're not going to get the candy. Well, he just lost his freaking mind. He actually ran up to, and this precious little boy, you wouldn't know that he would have ever done this, but he ran up to some lady's cart and he started grabbing the cart and he was shaking the cart and he was like, I want the candy. And I was like, oh my God, what is happening? So I went over to the information desk. I, I, I don't really remember vividly what happened at that point. I think I grabbed him by the arm and I went up to the information desk and I asked them if they could check me out. Well, at that point, he was on the floor, like flailing himself around. I dropped the carton of milk on the floor. It did not bust, um, thankfully. So anyway, I, I put all my stuff on the information desk and I said, ma'am, can I, I'll be right back. So I took him by the arm outside the Kmart and we went like to the side of the front doors out on the front sidewalk. And I said, if you're gonna, uh, if you're gonna, I don't know, throw a fit or whatever, then do it here. That's what I said. So he laid out on the ground and was straight up kicking and screaming. And um, I just can't even believe it to this day that he was doing that. <laughs> and so people were like walking by me and I was super calm. I don't know how I kept my shit together, but they were walking by me and I was like, hi, don't worry about him. He's just, um, you know, throwing a fit. And uh, they, you know, were kind of looking at me sideways and smiling slightly, but not really knowing what was going on. Anyway, I said to him, he kind of calmed down and I said, are you done yet? And he said, no. And he started kicking and screaming again. And then um, after he just felt the feelings and he let it all out, and he stopped screaming. I said, are you done now? And he said, yes. And we went back inside and I checked out my groceries and we left and we went home. 
And when I got home, (laughs) after he was occupied, I got on the phone and went into a room by myself and I called my sister and I was like, oh my God, I've never seen a child act this way in a store ever. And she was like, where, what store have you been shopping at? You've never seen a child throw a fit like that? And I was like, no. So, um, anyway, hilarious. But today I was thinking about, you know what? He was going through the process of letting go. That's what he was doing. He was mad at me. So that's the emotion. I made him mad. He was mad at me. And I took him outside and I allowed him to feel the feeling for as long as he needed to feel it. And when I asked him, are you done yet? Which is really, do you accept the fact that I'm not going to get you candy? He said no and started screaming again. He needed to feel it some more. And then later I said, are you done now? He said yes, which means he accepted it. He accepted that it wasn't going to change. And then we stood up, we went inside, and he recognized that we need to move forward. We need to do what's next. And what's next was we needed to check out in the store. So I thought that that was an amazing kind of epiphany for me that this is what this child was doing. He was letting go. And um, so I have another example. When I was in middle school, I remember this boy that I really, really liked. And he didn't like me back. And so I remember going to a middle school dance. And I remember putting on my fanciest dress and my fanciest shoes. It didn't matter. The boy still didn't like me. And I remember going home after that dance. And I remember just being just overcome with sadness that this boy did not like me. And I, so I turned on my my radio and I listened to music and I cried and I wrote down lyrics to music. And back then, you know, I had like the tape recorder. So you got to write down the lyrics, hit pause, you know, listen, hit pause, write down the lyrics, uh, hit play, (laughs) write down the lyrics. Oh, I missed something. Rewind on the tape recorder. So, um, anyway, So uh, I felt those emotions and I did it for as long as I needed to do it. And, and honestly, I think I, these boys that I liked in middle school, I mean, it took months for me to get over them. Maybe it felt like months and it was actually a week before I moved on to another boy. (laughs) I'm not sure. But um, I felt it until I realized that there was nothing I could do and that boy was not going to like me. There was nothing I could do. So at at some point, I accepted it and, 
you know, turned to another boy and, and decided I was going to like a different one, you know, who's next. So, um, same thing. It's kind of like, you know, the boy didn't like me. It made me sad. That's the feeling. Um, I had to feel it for as long as possible and there was nothing else I could do. I had to just feel it. And I felt it and felt it and felt it until I recognized that it wasn't going to change and I had to accept it that the boy doesn't doesn't like me. And then I moved on to what's next. Who's next in that situation? So as we grow up, we unlearn this, this uh, skill of letting go that we learned as a child. And what I was thinking of is things like that you hear as you're growing up. Uh, some of these, I don't know if they were just uh, things we used to say in Leesburg. So pardon me if you never heard this before. But one uh, statement that somebody would say to you if you're, you know, if you're trying to feel the feelings, you know, that's frowned upon, it seems like, uh, to actually spend the time that you need to feel feelings. People will say to you, you know, you cry too much, pull up your skirt, grow a pair, suck it up. Um, and we learn over the course of growing up and, and starting to adult that we need to be independent, that, that it signifies strength to get through something on your own for some reason. And so it takes a lot to recognize that you need to ask for help or you need to get therapy or something like that. So um, uh, all of this I thought was, it, it, it really was very interesting to me um, thinking about how right now I'm going through this, this process of accepting that I can't do the things that I used to do. And instead of letting it, instead of you know, giving, identifying what is the emotion that that's causing me to feel. Instead of giving it a name, letting myself feel it as long as I need to feel it to the point that I exhaust myself and finally recognize that there's nothing I can do to change it. I have to accept it. And then and then making the decision to move on to what's next. What is, what's next for me? Um, so just, just, uh, I, I think that if I can remind myself on a daily basis to, to identify that emotion, that's, that's where it starts, is identify what that emotion is, is that, that my um, recovery is causing me to feel 
and give it a name. I've talked about that before is when we can pinpoint what an emotion is and give it a name, it, um, it allows the, the process to start for letting go or healing. And, um, and then during uh, the second part where you're going to be feeling the feeling and feeling it as long as you need to feel it until you've exhausted yourself, that's the part where you need to really take care of your brain. And I talked about taking care of your brain um, this week, and we talked about happy chemicals and what we can do to release happy chemicals. I talked about um, getting enough sleep. I talked about eating right and all of these um, these different things you can do to uh, to encourage neural connections and um, and encourage uh, happiness, you know, and joy. So, and then finally, once you get to the part where where you're accepting that the that things are not going to change then you're kind of launching yourself out of that thought loop and if that means that you need to write it down or at that point um and maybe you've already started talking to a counselor or a therapist or something like that but get it out of you because i find that until i write something down or i talk about it out loud it's like a thought loop and it just stays inside there and it feeds that feeling and that feeling has a it, it's difficult to make the feeling end or exhaust itself if i don't let it out of my system and finally figuring out what's next and in my situation um, the stuff that I put in things I can change in my life, that's what's next for me. Learning voiceover, getting busy, and seeking help from uh, support and doctors, therapists, friends, and family. So hopefully this was helpful, and uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.